0: Log Talk Radio Round One Fight, 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 fight.
1: Minions and welcome to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente. I survived another week. Finally, this bronchial stuff that I've been dealing with is starting to clear up uh, just a little bit. I know a little bit too much TMI on a Saturday morning. Happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans uh, across the United States. Uh, uh, Welcome and we, we want to take this time to salute you and uh, whether or not you're in the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, uh, Coast Guard, uh, however you served our country, uh, really, words can never explain what your service means to us, what your service means to me personally, what your service means to this show. So thank you. Happy Veterans Day. And uh, we thank all of you for your service. And we dedicate today's show to all of our veterans. Happy Veterans Day. Enjoy your day. You've earned it. Thanks for being there for us. All right, guys. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente. 917-889-8516 is my digit. You want to call in and uh, talk sports. We've got a lot uh, this week, and, and we're going to be getting into that NASCAR talk uh, here uh, about 30 minutes or so. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Steve uh, from a speed, a Speedway Digest and also Tyson calling us from OnPitRoad.com. This NASCAR championship pitcher is coming clearer and clearer, so to help us break down that scenario as we are on the road to Homestead uh, to uh, crown a champion for the NASCAR 2017 season, so we're going to be talking about that. 10 o'clock, top of the hour, NFL talk with Ed Kratz. Uh, we're going to be breaking down some of the crazy stories out of the NFL this week and uh, some injuries. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Colts and the Steelers. And we're going to be talking about uh, how big of a leap that the Philadelphia Eagles have made to be really... the. If you're going to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC, you're probably going to have to go through Philadelphia. And so we're going to be talking about some of the quarterbacks of the future, and uh, some of the old guards as far as quarterbacks go and and so forth. You can certainly catch Ed's uh, blog up on our site, www.thebalanceonline.com. And then at uh, our last segment of the day, we're going to be breaking down the NCAA power rankings, playoff rankings, playoff scenarios, playoffs, Yes, yes, yes. We're already talking about playoffs, and, you know, hey, we might as well just pack it up and and go on home because apparently, according to the NCAA, they've already got their mind made up who's going to be Well, at least that's what they want you to believe in. And so we'll be talking about that three and four gap. Obviously, I think that we know for sure that Alabama and uh, Georgia will be your one and two slots there uh in, in the playoffs, I just think right now it's just pretty evident. So we'll give them that. Notre Dame, though, they have to win out. They have to make it happen. They have to beat Miami. They have to beat Navy. So we're going to be talking with Rick Riggin uh, about Notre Dame. And certainly, you know, they've had a great season. And, and certainly I think they've redeemed themselves in a lot of ways. So we'll have to see how, the, how that comes together. We're not talking about Ohio State anymore, obviously, after their loss last week to Iowa And, you know, let's just face it, they really weren't strong enough to get into the playoffs this year. Uh, The other question that we might want to talk about, and and that's uh, Wisconsin. Now, if Wisconsin wins out and is undefeated, do we have a conversation about them being in the playoffs because of strength of schedule? And we could say because they did not play anybody. So we'll we'll get into that, that conversation As well. So we've got a great show on chat for you. Stick around. We'll be right back right here on the Balance
2: Radio Network.
3: You're here again. Well, yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well,
0: I like sides.
3: It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go?
0: Here, ten. Here.
4: Introducing the new beat-up, fast-break lunch menu. Starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
5: When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing.
0: Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow.
5: Ooh. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood.
1: All right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom, Mark Wissell, President Hey, Joining us now is Matt Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, but it's off-season for IndyCar, so we're just going to talk a, a little bit of uh, potluck with uh, Matt today. How you doing, sir?
2: Too much drama, too many craziness, and God darn it. I tell you, this uh, this. Bug that's going around here in South Bend is making everybody. I don't think anybody is uh, feeling all that good right now. Everyone's coughing, sneezing. I mean, it's uh, not the greatest of uh, scenarios right now.
1: <laughs> oh, I tell you, I tell you, I'm just getting rid of it uh, myself. So I, I think whatever it is, it's it's running its course. Hopefully, it's it's out of it, of its course soon. So let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, uh, funny news or funny business or funny off-season that's going on in IndyCar and certainly uh, bring us up to speed of what's going on with uh, Formula 1. And we'll talk a little uh, uh, World Cup here in a second and some Notre Dame. So what are your thoughts? Uh? Well,
2: Formula 1, uh looks like Haas Automation right now is concerned whether or not their Ferrari uh engine contract will be renewed for next year there's some clarification supposedly racer magazine is saying that there could be some clarification going on on that so be interesting to see how that goes uh... the last thing Haas and uh, Guther Steiner want to do uh, is have to search for another power unit uh, in a very low time frame IndyCar obviously uh, Ed Jones has taken the uh, Ganassi ride uh, for 2018 so that means Dale Coyne Racing is looking for another driver uh, you look at some of the other options out there with uh, Formula One. Obviously, Lewis Hamilton has won the championship uh, with Brazil. And uh, the race in Dubai is still left on the calendar. So they're obviously uh, looking good at this point. Uh, Ferrari uh, is still trying to possibly win a couple races with Sebastian Bell to close out the year. And uh, you look ahead to... Uh, the Indy 500, uh, did you see the uh, information involving uh, the third Schmidt entry? Apparently, it's looking more and more likely now that uh, Tristan Gomity will not drive this car. Uh, apparently, there's been some very bad press involving uh, his business partner, Didier Kamels. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the uh, Racer article, but apparently uh, there's some real bad uh, history involving Mr. Kamels, involving uh allegedly serving time in prison for the death of his wife uh some other shady business deals that were also involving him that uh, he could have gone to prison for so that could be a third ride for indy now that could become available and obviously it's a shame for gomandy who hasn't driven in uh north america in open wheel competition since the last year chance car in 2007 so yeah a lot of crazy stuff going on right now but uh some real uh creepy stuff, uh, especially uh, kind of puzzling how a guy like Sam Schmidt wouldn't do his homework uh, about this uh, Didier Kamel's guy before uh, inking this deal.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I know I've been uh, kind of following it. I got on the tail end of it this week, so I'm still catching up to us on that story. And It is kind of a bizarre story, but, hey, you know, it's just sometimes uh, you, uh, you get in a hurry to get things done, and so we'll see how they can uh, pin that well, out. the we know thing Chip? that
2: makes it creepier, Tom, is this is a guy that's been backing uh, the Alpine team in Le Mans competition for the past five years, so why did it take an Indy entry – uh, for this all to, uh, come to light. I think that's the thing that's really, uh, puzzling.
1: Right. Absolutely. And, and, uh, we'll see how all of that comes, comes together. Chip Canassi racing is, uh, uh, close to, uh, reaching a major milestone after clinching its 199th victory last weekend at the FIA world endurance championship held in China. Although, uh, 2017 racing season is, uh, nearing its end. As far as that goes, uh, win, excuse me, win number 200. It certainly went well within uh, CGR's uh, grasp in the coming weeks.
2: Obviously, there's a couple more chances in the FIA World Endurance Championship, and then obviously they're going to have four cars potentially at the Rolex 24 Daytona in January, so they certainly have two good chances to do it, and I I'd find it very surprising uh, if we're talking, you know, Daytona 500, where they have the chance to do it, obviously, with Kyle Larson or Jamie McMurray or even the IndyCar opener. I think before then uh, you got Sebring as well, another place where the Ford GT has run well in the past. So I would be very surprised if we're still talking a potential 200 win by the time uh, the season opener in St. Petersburg comes up.
1: Absolutely. Graham Rahal also uh, got himself a new engineer. Uh, the third-generation driver will have uh, Rahal Let- Letterman's uh, uh, L- L- legman's uh, Tom German overseeing his uh, title-contending entry, while Eddie Jones, who played a vital role in turning uh, uh, Rahal Letterman's uh, racing fortunes around, shifts uh, to the number 16 Honda, uh, driven, as we know, by T- T- Tememoko Soto. Uh, thoughts on that change? And you think that's good, positive, or indifferent?
2: Well, Ricardo Nolts had to do the, most of the operation work since the passing of Scott Remke uh, in 2007, I believe. So they give him some assistance in this. And let's face it, I mean, they have to up their game. I mean, Dale Coyne Racing upped the gauntlet uh, this past offseason among the bin pack runners when they brought in Craig Hampson, and it immediately helped them. And as I mentioned in my article as far as team report card last week on Dale Coyne Racing, it wasn't until the Indy 500 crash for Sebastian Bourdais, before then, they were possibly talking about potential championship aspirations. So, obviously, the game has been picked up. Uh, obviously, there's some danger in that. Of course, you talk about Hall Letterman-Lanigan uh, upping their game. Uh, Schmidt-Peterson Sports has changed uh, technical staff. Ed Carpenter-Racy has changed technical staff. So, uh, a lot of the mid-pack runners now are having to up the ante a little bit after what uh, Coin Racing did. Not that that's a bad thing but it just shows what it's needed to be done to, you know, run with some of the big boys, like Andretti, with uh, four cars that they're running, Ganassi, even though they only have two this year, and uh, certainly Penske, even though they only have three. So it's certainly the game is getting up, but I'll be very curious to see, like, for instance, what uh, a team like Harding Racing does to stay competitive or, you know, a brand-new operation like Uncos or Trevor Carlin's uh, believed entry, It'll be very interesting to see how they fare. And hopefully it's not a case like it was when there were several new F1 teams, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago when Caterham, Midland, some of these other teams joined in and they were marred in the back of the field. So it will be very curious to see. Hopefully that's not what happens, uh, when Harding, Yunkos and the believe Carlin entry, uh, join the fleet this year.
1: Absolutely. We're talking with Matt Embry, our official in, uh, IndyCar contributor. I'm sorry. Um, and so certainly IndyCar is in, in its um, uh, off season. I guess that's what I'm saying. And, again, uh, Matt Embry uh, with uh, Open Wheel. Now, I wanted to make sure I got that right, so I had to look it up here real quick. And uh, I know you also do sports there at 96.1 up there in Mishawaka. Uh, we'll talk Notre Dame here later on in the show, and in a little bit we'll t- I'll have one more question for you. But before that, uh, IU, Indiana State University last night. I don't think uh, Archie Miller was expecting the response from a team that they paid good money to come and play.
2: There's something about IU and these in-house teams where they struggle. I mean, last year they lost at Fort Wayne against the Mastodons. Now they struggled again against Indiana State. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I think the big thing in my mind right now is the – demands at that school are so great that sometimes it gets in the player's head and maybe even the coaching staff's head that they got to be perfect and they are under the gun every single game and i think that is part of the problem when they have that issue is they overdo things and that sometimes things get overlooked now granted Indiana State is a decent team, but I would not say they are one of the favorites uh, in the Missouri Valley this year. I think you look at the Missouri Valley, uh, teams like Valparaiso, Illinois State, I think are better teams. So it's not that they are one of the better teams in the Mo Valley. I think right now just there's so much pressure going on with IU uh, that – it's starting to get to them again, and I think if you are a fan of IU or you're an alumnus, you need to take it easy on the team with the expectations because Archie Miller's going to get this thing figured out, trust me. He got it figured out at Dayton. There's no reason why he can't get it done at IU. You just need to give the man time, and, you know – These slip-ups are going to happen. I mean, with a a high-caliber school that expects to be a challenger for not only Big Ten championships but national championships, the pressure sometimes gets a little bit too heavy. I mean, heck, Kentucky doesn't win every championship every year. Duke doesn't win every championship every year. So it's across the board. I mean, sometimes you get a little bit too demanding, and the team players and the coaching staff starts to buckle. I mean, You see it everywhere, and I think that's a sign. Maybe, you know, the fan base needs to be taken a little bit easy uh, on Archie Miller and the staff and the players uh, and let them do their work. I mean, if they take it easy on them, maybe they'll get some results. But I think right now, you know, the over-demand sometimes, it causes players to buckle.
1: Well, absolutely. So uh, certainly, hopefully, hopefully, uh, this was a, a good wake-up call for them. I, I mean, I know we got a long season to go, and so certainly this is not uh, have big ramifications for either team. But certainly, it's a win that you would have liked to see Indiana University start the the, the season off with the new head coach of our Archie Miller. Notre Dame got Miami today. Tough team. Tough. Comp- uh, 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 tough opponents coming up. They've got to win out. They will lose one time. They're out. Everybody's got them in the number three <coughs> slot. We, we're we going to be talking to them and breaking down the uh, playoff scenarios. Uh, but Notre Dame uh, in Miami today, what say you, sir?
2: Miami has a chance to win this game, but they've got to cut down the turnovers. Uh their quarterback has been very iffy, has had trouble controlling the ball, has thrown some very questionable passes that have been intercepted. He's got to keep them in the game and avoid turnovers. That's what Notre Dame feasts on. They have a plus-19 turnover-to-turnover enter, to to turnover ratio entering this year. That's far better than they had last year. It's one of the best in the nation right now. So if Miami wants to stay in this game, they've got to protect the football and they've got to get stuff going defensively. I mean, uh, I think we saw last week against Wake Forest that Notre Dame's secondary can be vulnerable against faster receivers, and Miami has those. But I think right now they just need to be better ball control right now. And then the big thing is I think they need to put more pressure on Brandon Wimbush to where he can't get out of the pocket. That means they're going to have to find ways to get through, you know, the two – juggernauts on that offensive line, Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson to do it, uh, it's tough to do sometimes, but sometimes you're going to need to send the house. The only question is when they do that, uh, does that open up the opportunities for guys like a K.J. Stefferson or a Equanimous St. Brown to burn him? Uh, that's the only question I've got there. Uh, and then, obviously, the other thing is, the question right now about Josh Adams, uh, he suffered a concussion last week, knocked him out early in the Wake Forest game for Notre Dame. The question is, will he be 100% now, they've got other options in the backfield. They can obviously go to, say, a Dion McIntosh if they want to, uh, maybe even the Tony Jones if he is healthy after he was uh, roughed up a little bit in the Wake Forest game. So, ultimately, I think a guy and then like a, a McIntosh could be a key factor, an X factor for Notre Dame today, and then defensively for Notre Dame, they have to have a big game from the rover back, Drew Tranquil. Uh, with as many running threats as Miami has on that running back, as far as with the quarterback and with the runners, Drew Tranquil needs to be an eagle eye. He needs to get the job done. And then another guy that's been strong in the Nail said he's a big game at that wide backer spot, Tavon Coney.
1: Well, absolutely. Well, we, we, we're going to uh, wrap it up and put a bowl on it. But before we do that, we'll talk about the other football. football. USA. We'll talk about the World Cup uh, soccer. Excuse me. USA doesn't qualify and the Nether Netherlands doesn't get in, and now Italy uh could be joining as you said, the cuckoo crazy stuff. What's going on with World Cup Soccer sir? Maybe
2: this is why they want to expand the field to forty eight teams by twenty twenty six. I mean, I don't know if it's death or it's the case is right now that these teams are taking these qualifiers not seriously enough. I mean, you have the US who like I, Greg Ragstraw, if I don't know if you saw this tweets that I tweeted between myself and Greg Ragstraw, who's the voice of the Indy Eleven and uh Soccer yep. Saturdays on uh ten seventy to the fan, I believe, around this same time. Uh he told me straight up the US should never have been in that situation to begin with, and they showed no uh talent or no urgency at any point during the hexagonal. Uh same thing with the Netherlands, especially in you know, the loaded group they had. They just never showed their best and now you've got Italy having to come back to Milan on Tuesday, having to win by two goals against Sweden. Otherwise, they'll be out of the tournament for the first time since 1958. So I think you need to realize, I mean, if teams like, for instance, Panama and Iceland are qualifying for the tournament, Egypt, who is in after up a long drought, I think that tells you that the tie is changing and that some of these main states need to play a little bit harder to defend uh, their turf right now. I mean, you've got... Several mainstays that are on the ropes right now. For instance, uh, Australia is having to fight for its life to stay to make the tournament for the third straight year against uh, a team in Honduras who's made it in two straight tournaments. Uh, <coughs> and then you've got a couple other uh, European mainstays that next week also need uh, big performances to bounce back. So, yeah, the tide's changing for sure. As far as the international, there's a lot more competitive teams. And, unfortunately, I think for a team like the United States, they just got lost in the shuffle, didn't underestimate the competition in CONCACAF, and ultimately they paid the price for it.
1: Well, absolutely. We'll be following it. Uh, Certainly we've been following it a lot more if the USA had been able to get into the World Cup, but that was not the case. Matt Embry, we appreciate you joining us. Take care of that cough, sir, and have yourself a, a, a good weekend. We'll talk with you soon.
2: Not a problem, and don't forget to follow us uh, starting at noon for half of our game day sports beat on 96.1 FM, WSBT, and worldwide at WSBTradio.com. And then, obviously, after the Notre Dame-DePaul basketball game, we will rejoin for just a slight more preview before we join the IMG Network. And, of course, don't forget to follow us at UND.com for the official Notre Dame football postgame show with Darren Pritchett and Reggie Brooks. And, of course... We also have listener feedback, so listen to the show on UND.com, and we'll have that listener link in which you can send your questions and comments after hopefully what's going to be a very competitive Notre Dame-Miami game.
1: It's going to be a good one, that's for sure. All right, Matt, you have yourself a good weekend, and we'll talk with you soon, sir. Anytime, Tom. Matt Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, but also uh, certainly during the offseason, he calls in and, and uh, talks Notre Dame with us, uh, talks some IU basketball, World Cup soccer, uh, certainly up there in uh, Mishawaka Caveman Sports uh, with 96.1 FM up there in northern Indiana, which is Notre Dame country. My name's Tom Marquisele, Presidente, myself and Steve Wilson, and possibly Tyson from OnPitRoad.com, are uh, going to be talking NASCAR out in Phoenix. We're getting ready for a big homestead showdown
3: bobby you're here again yeah my doctor told me to reduce stress at work so i come to buffalo wild wings to eat lunch and watch sports i get to pick one of seven entrees like sandwiches and salads plus one of seven sides what well, like sides it's so affordable i can finally take a vacation where
0: are you gonna go here ten, here
4: Introducing the new beat-up fast break lunch menu, starting at a new low price. Dine in or order takeout weekdays between eleven and two. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Tonight
0: All right, and
1: welcome back to The Balance. My name's Tom Marquiseo, Presidente. 917-889-8516 is my digits. Happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans. Our show is dedicated to you. We salute you. We cannot do this show without what you've done for our service uh, for our country. So no matter how you've served our country, uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, uh, what have you, if you've served the service and you're a veteran, we salute you today. This is your day. Enjoy this. This show is dedicated to you. Thank you to Matt Embry uh, joining us, uh, certainly talking some uh, Notre Dame football, talking some off-season of IndyCar, as well as uh, some Indiana University uh, basketball who just got totally embarrassed last night by Indiana State University. And, obviously, he's calling us uh, from up in uh, from Mishawaka, Caveman Sports, up in Mishawaka, Indiana. Now it's time to get into some NASCAR Chalk. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest joins us, and Tyson of OnPitRoad.com joins us. Guys, it's getting to be crazy. Time uh, and, and certainly the the picture uh, for Homestead is becoming more and more clear. Steve, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts, sir? And uh, what 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 uh, what say you, sir?
3: Well, it sure was a wild race last night in Phoenix, and uh, it, I I don't know what's going to happen next week. But you know, Matt Crafton gave some. Opinionated debi- uh, advice to uh, Ben Rhodes on what he should do with Aus- uh, Austin Centric who made it made his way into the championship for, uh to going into Homestead. Um, <clears throat> ben for his uh, you know for his, for his media appearance and for his media um, talking to the media a little bit after that wreck occurred late in the race last night that uh, kind of. Um, you know, knocked him out of contention going into Homestead next week. He was very noncommittal, didn't want to really answer on um, if he was going to do anything, if he was going to retaliate next week at, um, you know, at Phoenix. I mean, sorry, at Homestead. So uh, who knows? I mean, it, um, it it's going to be interesting. Matt Crafton isn't really in a position to do anything about it because he's got a, he's got to fight for the championship, and Johnny Sauter is very, very strong. I mean, he's just one-two. Uh, races back to back, and uh, he's the defending champion for the NASCAR Campion World Truck Series at this point. So, um, you know, he can't really afford to go into next week and really play too many games. But you, know, uh, Ben Rhodes, you know, happens to you know knock
0: uh, you know uh,
3: Austin Cedric out of the running at some point in the event. Well, you know, you know where that comes from next week at Homestead.
1: Tyson, on com joins us as well. Tyson, talk with us a little bit about what your thoughts are going into Phoenix, and we're going to break down these races here in just a moment of what's going on in Phoenix, and certainly as we get ready to go to Homestead for the championships uh, race.
6: Yeah, I think Phoenix was always a really uh, exciting race weekend pretty much every time we get to that track, and, and that was kind of shown uh, last night in the race. The The first two stages kind of were you know, a little relaxed, not, not too much going on. The KVM drivers, Noah Gregson and, and Christopher Bell were dominating, dominating the race. And then late in the race, just mayhem ensues. And as Steve was alluding to the Austin Cinderick Ben Rhodes contact happened. And, you know, I don't think uh, Ben Rhodes is going to go out next week and do anything uh, about that because, you know, we've seen a precedent set with the Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano, uh, instant at Martinsville a few years ago that precedent had Kenseth, uh getting a two-race suspension, and I would think, you know, even though it is the end of the year, NASCAR could very well carry a suspension over if somebody were to intentionally wreck uh, a championship contender and especially a championship contender in the championship race. If you intentionally wreck them and, and just take their chances of a championship away, that's kind of a black eye on the sport, and I think NASCAR will look at that I don't think we're going to see any any payback. If you look back at Ben Rhodes in the past, he's never seemed like a um, quote unquote dirty driver. So I don't think he would, you know, take action into his own hands. And I think Matt Crafton was saying that about Cinderick for two reasons. One, you know, Crafton's going to be fighting against Cinderick for the championship next week anyway. So why not have your teammate take, you know, one of those uh, contenders out and make it down to just two people yet to beat. Um, You could have been serious, could have been a joke But I think the other reason he was saying that Was just maybe to get into Cindric's head Um, But moving on to to The rest of the weekend, I think we have a a couple Of really good races uh, to go So um, pretty much One position, for the most part Open in those two races So it'll be interesting to see who gets that Basically fourth and final position In the semi-series and uh, cup series
1: Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com joins us. Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, joins us as well. We're getting ready for a huge showdown in uh, Homestead. Speaking of Homestead, on this day, 2001, Bill Elliott uh, snapped a a seven-year winless streak with a victory at Homestead. Uh, It was also uh, Ray Everham's first win as a car owner. That picture was posted on Twitter about 45 minutes ago. There's a young driver that we know well uh, as a little kid in that picture i don't know if you guys saw that but chase elliott uh is in that picture and wow how how times change just over a period of of time from 2001 to 2017 we'll start with you steve what are your thoughts on
3: young chase elliott at homestead this year Well, you know, he he hasn't been in a really in a cup car in a, in a race there. I, he he's been in there in the Xfinity series, and he you know when you look back to the previous years, I mean, he won a championship at Phoenix in the Xfinity series. So I mean, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have if he does get through this week, he does get that last spot locked in. I mean, it, it's going to be a totally different experience for him going in to Homestead next week. Um, you know, the 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 so this is this is going to be totally different for him. I think he's going to have to you know before we even get we even start thinking about you know homestead really to tell you the truth is you know he he is deep down in the points at this point at, at, you know going into tomorrow's race there the Can Five hundred at Phoenix. He is going to have to get by some really strong cars, you know, unfortunately, Jimmy Johnson, Brian Blaney, there's a lot of drivers that are in the same exact place right now, there's three drivers already locked in, either pointed themselves in or they've already uh, won a race such as Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch. Um, you know, that leaves one spot open. Uh, you know, the good thing that's uh, you know, for, for Ryan, uh, for Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney, you know, Ryan Blaney's going to start on a pole. Chase Elliott is going to start fifth. That last spot, which is being currently held right now by Brad Kozolowski, he's starting 12th right now. Uh, he's going to have to work his way through the field and, um, you know potentially if if Blaney goes out there and collects a lot of points he's the closest right now to uh Brad Keselowski that can that can take a lot of points away and can knock him out uh can it happen tomorrow we don't know there's a lot of things that can shift over about 312 laps around Phoenix but you know there's a lot of stories coming out of there but if if Chase can get into this he's going to be in a class of his own competing against you know the likes of uh, former champions Kevin Harvick and um, you know uh, Kyle Busch, and then you know obviously Martin Truex Jr. that uh, has been totally, totally dominant when they get to these 1.5 mile tracks, like he has been this year, just collecting up just an astounding amount of points in the uh, in the stage based system. But you know, going into next week, there is no points for the championship four in the stages.
1: Well, let's move over to the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, Tyson, uh, Johnny Sauter, obviously uh, secured a win uh, last night in Phoenix. Exciting race out there in Phoenix. John Hunter, Namichek, Cody Coughlin, Chase uh, Briscoe, uh, Kaz Garala, Stuart Fresson, and Todd Jelan, and Christopher Bell, <laughs> Austin Cedric, and Baver, uh, Bailey Curry round out the top uh, ten from recap from last night's uh, truck race. And after going back-to-back in round six, uh, Johnny Sauter is certainly uh, the favorite for the championship in Homestead with the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, uh, Tyson.
6: Yeah, Johnny Sauter definitely the favorite right now. I know a lot of people keep saying that Christopher Bell, based on outright speed, Should be the championship favorite, but we saw last night that Bell is prone to making mistakes, and maybe necessarily the the incident that he and his teammate, um, Noah Gregson, had racing for the lead late in the race. It was um, sort of a a mistake more on Gregson's part, but Bell had put himself in that position, and you can't be doing that as you're racing for a championship. Johnny Sauter was there ready and waiting to pounce, had a mistake been uh, ready to make, and honestly, watching that race, you could see those, you know, the five laps that, that Gregson and Bell were racing side by side, you could see those two were not going to give an inch, and it was going to end in a wreck. So Sauter was in in the perfect position uh, for those last few laps and ended up getting a win. And, you know, for this reason, he's got two straight wins going into homestead, a lot of momentum, and I think he is the championship favorite. He's uh, the defending series champion, and I think we could very well see him Uh, Go back to back and become only the second driver to ever win back to back championships in the truck series.
1: Steve, uh, we look at the four drivers uh, that are set for the championship at at Homestead. Obviously, we just talked about Solder. We got Bell, Crafton, and Cedric. Uh, You know, Solder locked up his. uh, uh, his part in the in the championship four uh, with the race uh, went out in texas uh the four advancing drivers will see their point totals bump up to four thousand drivers competing in the championship four will not be awarded stage points at homestead miami the first driver to cross the finish line when the checkered flag is waved in the ford eco boost
3: 200 will be crowned the champion what are your thoughts sir I mean, you you've got two relatively basically rookies in this series between Austin Cedric and uh, you know um, and Christopher Bell going against two previous champions with Crafton uh, and Sauter, and I think Tyson's exactly right. You know, Bell, uh, while he's won multiple races this year and he's shown that he has the speed, he has the opportunity to go out there and win some of these events. Um, you know, I think at the end of you know, the 40 could boost next uh, 200 next weekend in a homestead. I think it's going to be some of these, you know, veterans that are you uh, that are going to be able to put their prowess on the line. Just hang back, watch these drivers throughout the race, and potentially they're going to be the ones that are going to go across the finish line first. You know, as, as you know, Solder did it this weekend. Solder Solder has shown that he can do in the past. Craftman. You know, unfortunately, he got tied up into somebody else's mistake uh, this past weekend or last night there at Phoenix, and I don't think that, you know, it is a reflective on his entire total season, but, you know, or or his inability to, you know, get out of, you know, incidents as it was just, you know, a racing incident in, in a hole. But I think at the end of the day or the end of next Friday night, um, it's really going to come down to crafting. It's really going to come down to solder. And if, you know, it is Bell, then Bell is going to have to find a way to not uh, make the mistakes and not race, you know, as Tyson already said. He, he cannot afford to race drivers for five and six and handfuls of laughs. He's going to have to give. He's going to have to, you know, figure out a point that he he's going to have to give up. Hang back in line. Now, if it's the last laugh, that's one thing. But I I just think that, you know, he's just going to have to, you know, figure this thing out. But he just can't make the mistakes next weekend
1: absolutely Tyson so we, uh, we'll move on over to the Xfinity series here in just a moment but two drivers uh, just got disappointed't able to make it happen uh, Ben Rhodes of the number 27 uh, sport racing Toyota and John Hunter nameick number eight of the Nepco uh, sports uh, Motorsports Chevrolet I tell you what really I think out of those two the biggest gut punch in the gut uh, would be to uh, John Hunter Namick. Really uh, was looking for big things for him from him this year. I think that he, he made some forward momentum, but he just couldn't get it done at the end.
6: John Henry Nemechek, he is a really talented driver, and I think a lot of people um, tend to overlook that. But if if you look at how he's run this year, he's very inconsistent, and he was like that last year too. And I think for him to become a, a superstar driver in NASCAR in the future, for one, he needs to – find that consistency because he can go out there and win. He got a couple wins this year and, and got them in a very short time um, together too. But on, on a more consistent basis, he just was never there. Um, and, and I think we saw that a lot in the playoffs. He struggled in a lot of races and then he would have some races where he would come back and, and do extremely well. Even last night, he really wasn't running all that well throughout the, the race itself ran kind of, um, between 6th, 7th, and 8th, and then you know, at the end when everybody's wrecking out, he, he finds himself in position to um, get close to, to Sauter and put himself in position to win which he wasn't ultimately able to do, but if he can find that consistency as he gets further in his career, I think he has a chance to be a real superstar in NASCAR.
1: Steve Wilson, let's go on over to the Xfinity uh, race series. Anything can happen. Uh, when you have a, a playoffs a pitcher in, in, uh, coming together in Phoenix. And, you know, we look at William Byron, Justin Auger, uh, uh, Al Gager, uh, Christopher Bell, Alex Bowman, Eric Jones, Ryan Blamey, Cole Custer, Austin Dillon, uh, Daniel Hemrick, and Elliott Sadler, all in the bunch for uh, fast practice times. What's going to happen with Xfinity today? Who's going who's to have uh, their dreams destroyed uh, or who's going to feel the thrill of victory and the, uh, and the anguish of defeat, as they say.
3: Well, right now, the Xfinity Series right now is nearly wide open. There's only one spot at this point that has been locked in. I mean, there's a potential throughout the race that somebody can point themselves in if they get enough stage points, just like last night um, in the Campingboro Truck Series that a spot was taken in the middle of the race just based on the stage points. But, uh, you know, there's three spots out there that, you know, these drivers can go after. And I think they're going to be all, uh, you know, just super competitive at this point. I mean, we saw what happened last night uh, going down that dog leg. You know, some of these drivers are trying to make it three, four, five, even six wide uh, there on that back stretch, and it's just not working. And especially uh, when you've got a bunch of these drivers that are really close by in the Xfinity series trying to get those three last spots and going into Homestead next week. I just don't even know what's going to occur today, to tell you the truth. I think that we're just going to see a lot of that again today, maybe not in the first stage or maybe the half of the second stage. But, again, as the laps start winding down, some of the desperation is really going to start kicking in. And those drivers that may be sitting around that bubble, that may not have gotten any stage points, that need some points, that need something to make it happen that hail Mary towards the end of that second stage. um, I think that's when we're going to really start seeing uh, some of these drivers just go and and do some of the things we saw at the end of the truck series last night. So at this point, I don't know, I'm all over the board on this one.
1: Uh, Tyson, we look at Justin Allgaier, which is really one of the fastest uh, among the uh, the NASCAR playoffs in opening practice. Uh, as you heard Steve say, uh, I mean the field is wide open, and really it's any man's show. Uh, when you when we start to narrow down the look at today's race and who to look at, who not to look at, who are the dark horses. I mean, you know, let's let's uh, figure out who's going to be in this uh, big race in, in Homestead for the championship for the Xfinity's.
6: Mm-hmm. Well, as far as uh, wide-open races go, this, of the three, uh, Cup Xfinity and Trucks, Xfinity definitely has the most wide-open of the uh, three series in terms of who can make that championship for, and yet I still think those um, Sattler, Byron, and are three uh, junior motorsports drivers, I still think they are in pretty decent shape right now, where they probably, as long as nothing goes wrong, and I mean... We saw last night in the truck race that anything can happen, but they should be in a, a pretty solid position to um, take those three playoff spots. So I think it's really going to come down to um, that last one, and Brennan Poole has had a very consistent playoff. While he currently finds himself fourth, he, I, I believe he has the best average finish of all of the playoff drivers throughout these uh, last several races in the playoffs. So I think if, if you go off of that, The the top four going into this race are probably going to leave the top four as well. But Matt Tift only comes in five points behind Brennan Poole. Cole Custer we've seen um, do very well through the season. And Phoenix has been a good track for him um, where he's run well in the truck series in the past. So I think this is a very wide open race. But I think we've got a couple of drivers who should be set. But then again, this is Phoenix. And we saw last night crazy things happen. We've seen crazy things happen in this race in the past. Uh, I remember just a few years ago, I think it was probably 2012-2013, a huge accident uh, with Elliott Sadler on the dog leg. So whenever these guys try to make those abrasive passes, this race can get nuts uh, really quickly. So I think uh, it'll be interesting to watch to see if those guys can uh, actually maintain their positions in the playoffs.
1: All right, Steve. Let's break it down. Let's get into it. This is this is where it all counts. This is where the the checks are made. The money is is done. All the cliches you can think of has to happen in Phoenix with the uh, Monster Energy NASCAR uh, series. This is the big boy races. This is what uh, they race all year for to be in the playoffs at at Homestead. You got Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, uh, Martin Truex Jr., uh, Kevin uh, Harvick, uh, Matt Kenseth. Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Daniel Suarez, and Eric Jones all rounding out the top 11 going into Miami tomorrow.
3: You know, like I said, you know, with Ryan Blaney sitting on the pole that puts him in a good position right now with over Brad Keselowski, who is way, way back in the field in 12th at this point. But, you know, with Denny Hamlin sitting on the outside, those two guys in in qualifying, they're literally separated by, I mean, just – not even a tenth at this point, uh, they're going to both fire off the line tomorrow, and it's going to be, it's, it's just going to be a dog race all the way through turn one right there and down through turn two and through the dog leg um, for them to battle it out to see who's going to get in front of one another. Um, they're both very competitive. Blaney came into the weekend when he, those, they didn't have the speed when they first offloaded off the truck, but they found something out there, they found it very quickly, and they fixed it up and got that thing on the pole. Um, But they're going to have to be able to maintain that throughout tomorrow's race. Um, And they're going to have to contend with a lot of drivers up front. Unfortunately, I think Jimmy Johnson's run is coming to an end tomorrow. He is not going to, I'm going to go ahead and say this. He is not going to, that drive for eight is gone. He is not going to sit on the sidelines and watch somebody else this year. and if I have to pick that fourth place, um, you know, the Wood Brothers number 21, I'm just going to go with them because they're from my home state of Virginia.
1: <laughs> there you go. That's, that's that's the best way to do it.
3: That's the best way to pick it out.
1: Tyson, uh, uh what are your thoughts going into tomorrow's race out in Phoenix getting ready for Homestead?
6: I think tomorrow's race is really going to come down to how, um, and it's really exciting with the stages this year that we've never been able to see this before. I think uh, the stages are really going to decide who is going to uh, get that fourth and final spot. Brad Keselowski comes in with uh, a points advantage over Brian Blaney and Denny Hamlin, but uh, as, as we already mentioned, Blaney starts on pole, Denny Hamlin starts second, and you got Brad Keselowski all the way down in 16th. So if Brad can make up those uh, positions early on and get some stage points, that's what, he, that's what he's going to need to do in order to keep that point advantage. I think Blaney obviously has shown he's got a fast car. I don't know if he's going to be able to have the car for the entire race to get the win, and that's the same with Denny Hamlin. So I think stage points going to be very important. As Steve uh, just said, Jimmy Johnson, I don't think, has a chance at the championship. Chase Elliott, same thing. Those two are both in must-win positions. Uh, Elliott comes in 49 points back of Kieslowski, uh Jimmy Johnson 51 points. It's very, very unlikely at this point that either of them can point their way and they're both going to need a win, and I just don't think either of them are strong enough, um, which would be very interesting because ever since NASCAR started this new format of you know, four drivers going to Homestead uh, in 2014, a Chevy has been a part of that race every year. This year I think is going to be the first time That it's going to come down to Toyota Versus Ford with no Chevys In the hunt Guys
1: I want to get uh, your, your thoughts on this we'll make this our final uh, Question because we're running out of time here But Eric Armadella uh, Named Danica Patrick's replacement At Stuart Haas Racing uh, And uh, you know armella i'm sorry i have a hard time with that name for whatever reason was a development driver for joe gibbs racing back in 2007 he had a chance to earn his first career victory while uh uh, filling in for Jenny hamlin in the xfinity series at milwaukee only the sponsor wanted hamlin in the car and, and armarella had uh had to get to the middle of a race he was dominating so um Obviously, we know he had a relationship with uh, Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, I think that that was uh, a negotiated deal because of sponsorship movement. But what are your thoughts on the replacement of Danica Patrick? We'll start with you, Tyson.
6: Well, this has been long rumored. Uh, Elmorella has been been linked to this seat um, since actually before he was even injured at Kansas in in May. So this has been a rumor that's been floating around NASCAR for about uh, six, seven months. Um, And it finally got confirmed this past week. And I think a lot of people have been very hypercritical of this move, um, thinking Almirola really is not um, deserving of this uh, ride. But we haven't really gotten to see him reach his full potential in NASCAR. I don't think. He's 33, 34 years old, so he still has a few good years left in this sport. And he has shown he has speed. He's done very well, I think, for Richard Petty Motorsports, getting a win. Um, that team typically doesn't have the speed, and he he's always getting, you know, five or six top 10s a year, which for a team like RPM is pretty um, pretty good. Um, I don't know if we can go out there and expect Almirola to, you know, win several races next year or, or compete the way that Kevin Harvick has over the past few years. And, frankly, I think Stuart Haas Racing needs to find some speed itself because this year, despite Harvick, you know, going to the championship four, it really hasn't been that great of a year that we've seen uh, in in the past for SHR. So I think a lot of people have been very critical of this Almirola move, but I think they need to allow him the, t- the chance and allow him the time to get acclimated to that seat next year because I think he can have a very respectable year and maybe even make the playoffs. Uh, probably won't be with a win, but he could make the playoffs some points.
1: Steve Wilson, our official uh, NASCAR contributor, uh, will give you the final word. What are your thoughts on Danica Patrick's uh, replacement over there at at Stuart Haas Racing?
3: I mean, at this point, Danica Patrick was going to be leaving Stuart Haas Racing one way or the other. She had no opportunities for any kind of sponsorship coming into 2018. Nobody seemed to be like they wanted to put the money forth onto her. They were already having troubles on that car. They were already involved in uh, legal uh, disputes with the with the company that had agreed to, to back her um, this year and all the way into 2018 for partial of, uh, of the year on a multi-year agreement. Unfortunately, that, that didn't occur. And, uh, you know, when this started coming up, you know, Eric Armorola and Smithfield, they have a long, they have a fairly long standing agreement where, uh, you know, money and sponsorship now rules the sport to some degree. And if you have money and you have the marketing and you have can put you in a seat, I think that that, that sometimes will, uh, overrule most uh, most any other thing there is out there. Uh, that's not to say I'm not trying to dog or down any driver over one another but that's the reality of the sport that we live in today with the diminishing number of sponsorship dollars uh, every every team is out looking to make sure that their cars are fully funded or as fully funded as possible. So uh, Gene Haas is already uh, trying to hunt for sponsorship over there for Kurt Bush in 2018 he's already put his name out there on the hood for a majority of this year with Monster Energy on that He wasn't about to potentially go out there and have to sponsor two cars in 2018, Uh, so somebody had to go. Uh, Kurt Busch, being a defending champion, a Daytona 500 champion, um, it was obvious on you know there was no prospects in 2018 for sponsorship for that number 10 and Danica Patrick, whereas. There's could be a potential for, you know, Kurt Bush. He made the he made it into uh, you know, the playoffs this year. He won the Daytona of five hundred this year. He's a previous champion. So there's a lot of marketability behind him. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, Dana Kapatrick would be just okay. She uh, has a lot of business opportunities coming up uh along her way. She's been working on this for many, many years and you know, we don't know. Maybe she will end up in another car somewhere, some place. maybe not next year, but I think that at some point we will potentially see her back in this sport.
1: Oh, I'm sure we'll see Danica around somewhere at some time, at some place. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, uh, Tyson of OnPitRoad.com joins us as uh, we, we gear up uh, racing in Phoenix and getting ready for the championship race down at Homestead.
3: Uh, Steve, where can people find you working your masterpieces, sir? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash Speedway Digest, at SpeedwayDigest.com. Thanks a lot, guys.
1: All right buddy, have yourself a good race weekend. Tyson, uh, give us a call from Canada on pitroad.com. Sir, what say you? what are your where can people find you follow you and stalk you and all that good stuff
6: uh, Yeah, as always, uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Tysonlot 23. Uh, follow us on Twitter as well at on Pit Road and always uh, check out the content we have on onpitroad.com.
1: Thanks, Tyson, you have yourself a good race weekend. We'll talk with you soon. Ty, uh, Tyson and Steve uh, joins us uh, talking NASCAR with us. My name's Tom Mark Wiesel, President. Hey, no pun intended, but we're going to be shifting gears coming up here in the second hour. It's Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day to our veterans. We'll be right back with Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor. We're going to be talking all the shenanigans going on in the NFL, both on and off the field. We'll be right back, right here on the Balance Radio Network. <laughs>
3: Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here.
4: Introducing the new beat-up, fast-break lunch menu. Starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, fear, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
1: Right, and welcome back to the balance. My name is Tom Mark Wassell, president. Today we start off our second hour. Thanks to uh, Matt Embry for joining us, uh, talking uh, with us a little bit about Indiana university, Indiana state university, uh, certainly Notre Dame and some world cup soccer as well. Uh, happy veterans day to you. This show is dedicated to you. Uh, so we hope that you can find some escape, uh, uh, in uh, the world of sports today. uh, uh Join us now, I think he's calling us from the Millennial Falcon, and that is Ed Kratz, uh, our official NFL contributor. How are you, sir? <laughs>
7: <laughs> the Millennial Falcon—that's a Star Wars reference, right?
1: That's a Star Wars wa- reference. We, we should—we should have waited okay. for Rick to, to be on, and and uh, you know he tweeted out a picture. I guess uh, Google scanned the Earth and found a picture of the Millennial, millennial, millennial Falcon. So we'll see. Uh, yes, yeah, I did Wars see that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know
7: yeah. I do want
1: to get into Go Go right ahead. Go right ahead.
7: No, no, no. I, I was just going to say my daughter saw a movie last night, and they showed the trailer to the new uh, Star Wars movie coming out. I think I'm two or three behind in that in that saga, but uh, <laughs> she said it looks really good, and she wants me to go see it. So I may have to break down and pay whatever it costs to see a movie these days.
1: You are doing better than me. I am so far behind the Star Wars movies. Now, Red Key is a Star Wars freak, but I, I am so far behind on those movies. But, hey, it's it's, yeah. it's always uh, fun, to, fun to watch. Hey, before we get into the NFL, I want to talk with you. Uh, certainly, uh, you, you spent many years in Philadelphia covering the, the Philadelphia sports scene. And certainly, I know you're familiar with Roy Holiday. Uh, the passing yeah. of Roy Holiday was kind of a, obviously a sudden and unexpected and sad event. And, you know, also, uh, maybe if you heard uh, the radio station out of Boston, um, uh, they just uh, hammered uh, Rory Holliday, said he was doing stunts, he kind of got what he deserved. You know, maybe there's a time and a place for discussions like that, but that wasn't the time or the place. What are your thoughts on Rory Holliday and the passing of Rory Holliday?
7: Yeah, well, you know, you're the one that uh, first alerted me to it. Tom, during the week, you sent me the uh, the text, and I was really shocked. Um, you know, he did spend four years in Philadelphia, you know, 10 years or so, 10 and a half years of his career was in Toronto. And, um, you know, he was a pretty, you know, he kept to himself Roy Holiday. But, uh, boy, you know, nobody worked harder than him, and his teammates spoke very highly of him. And uh, to kind of give you a sense of, uh, of, you know, how he kind of took Philadelphia by storm, uh, Talk Radio this week has really been focused on Halliday and some of the memories that they've had. And, and like I said, he he only spent four years in Philadelphia, and it's kind of a, a very critical town. And uh, yet he was able to win over these fans in such a short period of time. Uh, that year he had in 2010, his first year in Philadelphia, might have, might have been the best of his career. Uh, and then he had another terrific year in 2011, and then sort of started to uh, you know, age kind of crept up to him or whatever you want to call it, but his final two years weren't as good. And he got out, you know, when the getting was good. You know, you see a lot of these athletes try to hold on, but, but Doc knew when it was time and uh, family meant a lot to him. And, you know, I, I certainly admire and respect anybody uh, who puts family uh, ahead of their profession. And I know the Phillies tried to get him to uh, do something in their minor league system, kind of the way Mike Schmidt does. Uh, He comes to spring training. He's sort of a guest instructional hitter. And they kind of wanted Doc to do the same thing. But Doc said, you know, I want to go spend time uh, with my two boys, uh, you know, and my wife and my family. And, you know, you can make the argument. And I know that that there was somebody in Boston who came out and kind of ripped Roy for this about, you know, thrill-seeking. And, uh, listen, you know, when you're a pro athlete and you play in front of 40,000 fans if you're in in baseball or 80,000 fans if you're playing football, that's a tough adrenaline pill to kind of put away and, and forget about uh, for a lot of these guys. And, uh, you know, you could make the argument as, Hey, you shouldn't have taken the foolish risks, but look, that's the way doc was. Uh, you know, he, he enjoyed that, that thrill of adventure. Uh, and this time it, it caught up with him. And that that's kind of sad. Now these boys who were in their early teens, I believe 14 and 12, I think they are, they, they have to uh, grow up without a father. And, and, you know, now his wife is young and she's a widow, but uh no, I don't. You know, I I don't really fault Doc for doing that, just because I know the athlete and I know how they love the adrenaline, and that's why it's so hard for them to give that up. Uh, and then what replaces it after the game? Uh, how do you find that 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 rush? And and this was Doc's way of filling it, and it was a risk, and you know he ultimately paid for that risk, and and that's sad.
1: Yeah, it is, and,
7: and you know it's unfortunate.
1: And you're right. I think that, that a lot of times you got to feel that void somehow. And, you know, I saw a lot of pictures of uh, this uh, uh, aircraft. It's uh, an amphibious type uh, aircraft. And they actually gave a warning that says to, you know, to make sure that you fly at least 300 feet above the water uh, because of dangers of that that happened exactly with what happened with, with Roy Holiday. And, and sometimes you, you push the envelope, and sometimes it goes uh, too fast. Uh, he, he's certainly uh, gone too soon, and one of the great ones uh, are missed, and we uh, lost a, um, a great contributor to the, uh, the, to the sport of baseball and to sports in general. Uh, joining us also is uh, Rick Riggin, who does understand the Millennial, millennial Falcon re- reference. How are you, sir?
8: Hey, good morning, Tom. Hey, happy Veterans Day because I know you're a veteran, Tom, of the Army. And Thank you. Uh, I don't know the uh, Millennium Falcon reference
7: you're talking
1: of. <laughs> Ed's got something going on in his background. I don't know if he's if he's driving or his window's down or whatever. And there's a there's a there's like a, a like a wind sound when when with Ed's phone right now. So when he, he called in and uh, when I turned on his mic, there was that that wind sound. And I said... And calling us live from the Millennial Falcon is Ed Kraft. And he goes, that's a Star Wars reference, right? So that's – now you're up to speed, sir. <laughs>
8: All right, well, then I will be an even bigger nerd and say, Ed, be careful. I won't tell the odds of making an approach at light speed. They say it can't be done, but we saw in <laughs> Episode 7 that it can be done on uh, on the Starbase. So, uh, yeah, just be careful about those uh, light speed approaches. Yeah, thanks, it, thanks for the warning. I just,
7: I just hope. I, thanks for the warning, Rick. I, I just hope nobody right. <laughs> tries to to, to, to beat me up, or you know, maybe I'm crushing. You uh,
1: know. Yeah, Han Solo will pull it off
7: on Star Killer Base. So.
1: it <laughs> it <laughs> says he's a couple episodes behind uh, on the on the Star Wars movies. I'm I'm so far behind. But I do know this much. I do know this much. Han Solo dies, and I do know this much that the that the last of the movies came out first. So, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm up to speed.
8: <laughs> it gets confusing if you're new to the uh, Star Wars franchise. Watching the uh, the original trilogy is Episode four, five, and six. But then they made three prequels, and that's one, two, and three. So, if you're new to it, I would say start with Episode one. But uh, I really don't like the, new, the the three prequels. Episode three is pretty good because that's when Anakin becomes Darth Vader. But uh, start with episode <laughs> one. Don't start with the original trilogy anymore.
1: I love I love the picture that Rick uh, tweeted out this week about Google Earth finding uh, the Millennial Falcon. That was that was good, Rick. So <laughs> so <laughs> Thank so you. what we'll do, guys. Let's let's get into the NFL talk uh, We'll start uh, with this game That happened on Thursday night First of all, I want to make fun of the Seattle Seahawks uh, suits They were way too green uh, They looked like grasshoppers running around there And then, unfortunately, Richard Sherman uh, Is out for the season now to an injury, so not uh, Really uh, making fun of that But when he was on the ground and hurt He looked like a praying menace Ed, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh <laughs>
7: Those those uniforms are horrible, and I've seen some really bad ones. We all have on those Thursday night color rush games. Um, But uh, yeah, it's it's you know another big star lost, and Rich Sherman. You know we've seen a lot of that this year with you know big names getting uh you know getting bit by the injury bug. He's just the latest, and you know those Achilles injuries are tough. And I know he said he'll come back strong. And I've seen some doctors tweet out that you know he should be up and around in six months. But you know the Eagles drafted this cornerback from the University of Washington, Sidney Jones, who. So we're his Achilles back during his pro day in March. And, you know, he's been doing some running, but he's not still at 100%. And we're almost nine months removed from that surgery. So, uh, you know, it's a tricky injury. It's, you know, it's different for every person. How bad is the tear and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's much worse than an ACL or, or you know, an MCL, something in the knee. But, uh, you know, we'll see how he bounces back. The shame is, like I said, you know, the NFL just continues to lose its, its star power with these players going down to injury.
1: And, you know, I would be interesting, Ed, and, and I don't know the data on this, but I, I, I'm kind of a data analytics guy. I kind of like to look at data. But I'd be interesting to see the data comparison to the amount of injuries that have happened on a Thursday night that are season-ending. Now, of course, you know, you look at the other component of that data would be, well, of course, there's going to be injuries because they're actually playing, So there, there is going to be data for that. But I'm just wondering, is there – a cause for alarm to say maybe we shouldn't be having a game on Monday night, Thursday night, and all day on Sunday.
7: Yeah. I, I've never been a big fan of Thursday night football myself, uh, you know, and I don't even play the game. So I, I can't imagine the turnaround that the players have. I mean, look, it's, it's a rough game. We all know that. And it takes the, the human body, even if you're an athlete in peak condition, like the NFL, most of the NFL players are, it takes a while to recover. Uh, it's not until usually Tuesday or so after a Sunday game, or even Wednesday, that your body is kind of feeling uh, about as 100% as it can be during a season. So you know, then to turn around, you know, 24 hours or 36 hours later and have to play again, it's you know that's tough to do. And, and that'd be a great homework assignment for you this week, Tom, is to go out and do <laughs> the analytics on it and uh, and see what the Thursday night injury rate is. I can think of another one when the Eagles played against Carolina on a Thursday night. Luke Keekley. Uh, he suffered a concussion. Now, look, that's, I'm not sure that's sort of a, uh, an injury that wouldn't have happened had it been on a Sunday the way it happened. But, but still, that's an injury. Lou Keekley with the concussion, he's had the concussion issue. So, you know, that was an injury that happened on a Thursday night too.
1: Uh, Rick, you got any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah,
7: about uh, Seattle. Ed, what do you make of Russell Wilson
8: uh, taking that shot to the head, to the face area, and the ref actually telling him to, to leave the field? And he gets off the field, he just sticks his head in the medical tent, sends out one, sits out one play, and then comes back in. Do you think anything is going to come from that?
7: Well, I think the NFL is investigating, uh, you know, exactly what went on in that situation. You know, Wilson said that he felt fine, but it, it shouldn't be the athlete's decision to make. That's what the NFL is, is trying to get away from, is, is taking that decision out of the players' hands, because we all know the players are going to want to play. Um, So, yeah, I think there's something to be looked at. I don't really know what you can prove. Uh, You know, it's kind of like a drunk driver if you test him two or three days later, you know, the alcohol content's pretty much gone at that point. You know, maybe he wasn't concussed, but, you know, maybe they should have done a a more thorough evaluation of Russell Wilson on the sidelines. You know, this is a serious issue that that the NFL has on its hands, and, you know, that was not a good look for Wilson to just sit there for, what, what was it, two plays and then, you know, trot back onto the field before putting that blue tent around him that the NFL uses now for uh, sideline concussion evaluations. But, uh, you know, he, he, seemed, he said he seemed okay, but, again, it shouldn't have been his decision to make. It should be in the hands of, a, you know, the, the trainer, or, you know, the medical personnel on hand at the time.
1: And I want to step off the field again and talk about this annoying story that won't go away, and that's Ezekiel Elliott uh, in his suspension. He should have, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, he should have taken the the six games and been done with it by now. Of course, I know there's a part of him that would say, well, then I'd be admitting to something that I don't think that I did. And I know there's the part of the argument that said he was being suspended for something that he was never charged or convicted of. So see both sides of the fence here. Uh, But basically uh, linked to that is, I guess, as, as Jerry Jones thought, that he wasn't going to get suspended He did get suspended so he went nuclear Now he's uh, threatened to sue the NFL If Roger Cadell gets an extension I don't know what kind of legal grounds that he That he has for that But certainly I, mean, I don't even know how relevant J- uh, uh, Jones is These days in the NFL uh, But he still likes to Toot his big horn And honestly I'd like to just see him just shut up And be an owner sit in the Sit in the box And you know what Ezekiel Elliott, take take his six games, be done with it, and, and let's move forward.
7: Yeah, I mean, you almost need to be a lawyer, really, to figure out what in the world, you know, all this legal wrangling is about. Uh, I agree with you. He probably should have taken his six games, and he would have been back by now and uh, pointed toward the playoffs. You know, the Cowboys have dealt with this distraction all season long. It finally looked like they were hitting their stride, and now, you know, boom, you're without, you know, you're, you're the top running back in the league, really, for the next well, I think it's four games anyway. And then he's supposed to have another hearing on December 1st. And, you know, I don't know how all that's going to play out, but as far as we know today, as we speak, Zeke's not going to play when the Cowboys go uh, to Atlanta to play the Falcons on Sunday. So, uh, you know, that's a big loss. Uh, I think you're right. He should have taken his six games. I think, I think the kind of the, the point of this whole thing is is he was suspended for, uh, you know, the conduct policy, the NFL's conduct, the code of conduct policy. I, you know, I know there was never any charges filed or anything like that, but, in, you know, in the eyes of the commissioner in the NFL, and, you know, they're the employers, they make the rules, uh, he violated their code of conduct policy, and, and that's that. I, that's why I think all these appeals are getting, uh, you know, denied, is because really it's, a, it's the league's decision to do it based on their code of conduct. And, uh, yeah, maybe there's nothing legally wrong, and that's what has Jerry Jones so upset is he, he thinks Goodell's kind of overstepping his bounds trying to make amends for – uh, you know, the Ray Rice situation, when that video surfaced and they went soft on, on Ray Rice, and uh, you know, I could kind of see both sides. But really, you're right, he should have taken his punishment at the time and we wouldn't be talking about this anymore and he'd be back playing and the Cowboys would uh, still be a threat uh, in that NFC. I don't think this makes them any less of a threat. They've got some pretty decent backups in Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden, but, you know, Zeke is Zeke and he's the best running back in the NFL. And that to, to say that's not going to leave a mark, uh, you know, would be a little
1: short-sighted. Rick, any thoughts on uh, Zeke Elliott and uh, Jones and the Dallas Cowboys?
8: Well, I, I would say that what we've learned so far about the whole Zeke Elliott suspension thing is that he is suspended until he's not suspended. So, because he's been suspended, what, <laughs> like, three times this year now and then came back out, so he's suspended until he's not And then, uh, Ed, what do you make of the uh, Jerry Jones going after Roger uh, Goodell issue right now?
7: Well, it almost looks petty at this point, right? I mean, he's just kind of doing it the way it looks is because, you know, his best player uh, is being picked on in Jerry Jones' eyes. So, you know, it kind of looks to me like it's, you know, self-serving and um, it's not a good look for Jerry Jones. But, uh, you know, I, I guess that's kind of his point he's trying to make and, uh, I wasn't really too keen when they decided to re-up Goodell in the first place. I don't think he's that strong of a commissioner. I think it's time for a change. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like the politics when you have a, a senator or someone in the house who can serve for as long as they want, maybe to the detriment of of the country. I think it's the same with Goodell. I, I think a commissioner should have a shelf life, and and it's time to move on. But you know, for Jones to come out and do this now, kind of looks like it's more self-serving than anything else.
1: <laughs> Excuse me, and you're and you're absolutely right. And you know what? A lot of people are talking about this, and the more I, the more I research it, and the more I look at it, you know, they say Condoleezza Rice would be a good NFL commissioner. And say what you will, but I think I I, I think there's an argument for that. Ed?
7: Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't know what would make a good NFL commissioner at this point. Uh, you know, I don't know what Condoleezza Rice's qualifications would be that would Allow her to be a good commissioner, but uh, I just think, you know, there should be an expiration date on commissioner of, of any league. And, you know, at the end of a, a term, you know, eight years, let's call it what you know what a president's allowed to serve, maybe eight years. It's it's time to move on to get some new blood in there to, uh, you know, to kind of see what the, another person can do going forward. But I don't know. I don't know what Rice's qualifications are. Maybe you know you can you can tell me. I'm not really sure what she would bring to the table that would make her a successful uh, NFL commissioner.
1: Well, first of all, she's a, she's a huge uh, sports fan. She's very knowledgeable of sports, okay? Second of all, let's play the obvious card, the race card. Uh, third of all, she's also a, ver- a very big proponent of not pro- protesting the, the national anthem. And she she's used to be a former secretary of state. She's also been uh, involved in uh, playoff committees. She understands football mo- uh, probably more than a lot of us do. Uh, and she's a lawyer. And the the fact there again, let's play the race card twice. I think that is, say what you will. Unfortunately, the NFL has become that of race. And uh, to have an African American female head in that organization, that that gets along with the owners, that's conservative and wealthy, I think is a good a good choice. But but joining us now, me, me, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I started hearing that And I thought, well that was kind of weird So, you know, Google becomes your best friend sometimes You just gotta go in uh,
8: I was told in uh, one thing That you you missed with Condoleezza Rice She's also a Notre Dame grad So she's overqualified to be the NFL (laughs) commissioner
1: I totally (laughs) forgot about that You are right Joining us now also (laughs) Is uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show That may or may not be calling us From some sort of Star Wars reference How are you doing, Mo? Hello, hello, hello. Yeah. So you <laughs> you called in on the, the conversation that we were having with uh, uh, the, about Cadell, uh, Jones, and, uh, you know, the, the the name that's being tossed around there is Condoleezza Rice. What are your thoughts? We'll get back on track here uh, for NFL, and then we'll get into some college football talk as well. But go ahead, Mo.
9: Well, I think it would be a terrible pick, and here's why, because the, everything you mentioned, whether she's uh, an African-American female, obviously then uh, – it seems like she would be put in that position as a, uh, as a PR move. And uh, I mean, who's really going to take it seriously when it seems like she was put in there uh, because she's an African-American female to me. I think the perfect commissioner at this point would be somebody who's been a player and maybe also worked in the front office uh, who has, uh, you know, maybe a knowledge of both sides of the business of the business side and of the player's side. I I hate the fact we get uh, people in there who haven't really done a lot in football. That's why I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick her as an obvious choice. Uh, Just, you know, I mean, the fact that she's uh, against kneeling for the, the anthem, that's great and all, but I don't know that that qualifies you to, to be an NFL commissioner and secretary of state. Uh, I mean, that's great and all, but I, I want the politics as far away from my sports anymore as possible because nothing to me has, has given me more distaste recently than politics sports, and sports intertwining together. I hate it. I absolutely hate it.
1: Well, there you go. Peyton Manning for commissioner. There you go. Got it settled. <laughs> What? Hey Mo, Mo, well, Mo so,
7: sold me just like Tom sold me on the on the you know, the attributes of kind of up Mo sold me the other way now. I'm the heck with right. You know, you're to,
0: You're
1: totally you're totally torn uh, down the middle now. You're totally confused. Yeah, Dad. so you're right. uh, I am we'll get back on track. I think the Eagles are on by this week. So that's brings us back to, you know, some shenanigans on and off the field that revolve around the Indianapolis Colts. Indianapolis Colts said they've been 100% transparent with their team about everything. Uh, and the fans about everything. And then we see the release of, uh, Vontae Davis, uh, which there was a lot of, uh, stripe and a lot of stuff going on there with, uh, uh Vontae Davis that, uh, I'm not sure everything that was going on other than that he felt like he was disrespected, that they didn't treat his injury seriously. So one of two things they knew about the injury and they didn't make it public. So the uh, Chris Ballard, again, off the bat not being transparent about injuries that he said he was, or uh, on the other hand, Vontae Davis, wasn't transparent with the Indianapolis Colts about the extent of this injury. And they found out about it. Uh, but uh, certainly, uh, the struggling Colts, uh, face a, a pretty strong Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, team this week. What are your thoughts, Ed?
7: Well, how about option three in that scenario that the Colts are just completely clueless, uh, about how to run an organization. (laughs) Um, you know, they certainly, it, it looks bad, uh, with the Vontae Davis thing, but, uh, You know, on the field, the Steelers and the Colts, it looks like a titanic mismatch uh, in favor of the Steelers. And, um, you know, Pittsburgh looks like it's got its Super Bowl train kind of revved up here. And uh, Indianapolis coming off a nice win against Houston. Of course, you know, very handicapped with uh, Tom Savage uh, as the quarterback. Um, You know, I just don't see how Houston's going to win a lot of games with him. But, you know, credit to Indianapolis and Pagano for going out and, you know, showing some fight. At this point in the season, do you really want the Colts to, to keep winning, though, or do you just want to play for the highest draft pick you can get?
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> suck or be good, but don't be mediocre. Uh, Rick, thoughts on the Colts and right. the Steelers?
8: Well, they did the whole suck for luck campaign a few years ago, and how's that working out for them right now? Mo, what are your thoughts? I was just going to say, I just agree that. It's a Titanic mismatch, and like the Steelers – are looking like they finally got their uh, stuff together. So uh, it's not good times for Colts. I, I'm surprised Spagano made it this long. I don't guess they're going to fire him mid-season, but I don't look for him to be there after this season.
1: No, not at all. Mo, what are your thoughts? Uh, the Steelers, uh, the Colts, uh, Vontae Davis, uh, and the Colts uh, trash can fire.
9: Well, you know, I don't know how it's possible that the Colts have become as inept as the Cleveland Browns organization, but they have very quickly. And the Vontae Davis issue uh, has been going on for, you know, four weeks at least. Uh, and the big thing is the, uh, the clashing between uh, Vontae Davis and their uh, defensive coordinator, who is a complete idiot. Uh, there had been some issues going on there. They demoted Vontae Davis before last week, uh, him and, and the defensive backs coach. And you're letting, you're letting uh, you know, coaches who make decisions about an organization who obviously aren't going to be there next year. This whole coaching staff is going to be gone. And I, I, that's what I, I hate—the fact uh, that uh, that these guys are making decisions for the life long, uh, for the life of this franchise when they're not going to be around longer. And I think that's one of the things that put into Andrew Luck's injury, uh, besides an uh, inept front office and, and idiot doctors, is the fact you had two guys in Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano who were, you know, coaching and, and doing the general manager job, you know, for their job. They were coaching—he was coaching for his life for a few years. So I think that uh, kept Andrew Luck in there. And uh, if I'm Andrew Luck at this point right now, I know I'm 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 pretty ticked off at this Colts organization. I don't know how they fix the relationship, let alone fix his shoulder. Uh, you know, you you heard the report uh, this week when Tony Dungy mentioned uh, on the hot mic on the Dan Patrick show that Urcey thinks a lot of it's in his head. Uh, the best thing that could happen for this Colts organization at this point to save save face is uh, for Jim Ursay to offer Peyton Manning a little bit of ownership and bring him into the front office. And I think that's how you uh, you fix this fractured relationship. Uh, between the Colts uh, and their fans, and maybe even between the Colts and Andrew Luck, uh, is a guy like Peyton Manning coming in there, uh, I don't know that it happens. But I think the only way Manning does join an organization is for uh, some portion of ownership. And if I'm Jim Ursay that's what I would do right now. But he's never been a guy who's made the correct decisions. It was better when uh, when a guy like Bill Polian was there, who would uh, kind of do his thing and, and you know keep Jim Irsay out of it. Now it's just it, it's gotten uh, it's gotten pretty bad, and I don't know that maybe. Uh, the ballot was the right
1: pick team it, it, it's a complete a complete mess well guys uh we want to kind of start uh mixing in college football and uh n f l obviously uh m vets uh Sponsors Breaking Rank, our college football breakdown of the uh, playoff scenarios in the top twenty-five, and we call it uh, Breaking Rank. Uh, certainly a very fitting day for the Ambets to be our sponsor, as it is Veterans Day. What are your thoughts, Rick? I know you're very involved with the Ambets. How can people get involved with the Ambets uh, here in, in Indiana and across the nation, for that matter?
8: Well, one great way today, if you're in, here in the Evansville area and you're listening, is today we actually have a cornhole tournament. A flag retirement ceremony going on. We have free veterans uh, a dinner that's free for veterans today. Live music, which right after the show, I'm heading out to go prepare for all that because I actually have to give a speech today for the flag retirement mm-hmm. ceremony. So you can come see me uh, or anywhere across the country. Uh, your Amvets posts You can sign up, go online, uh, Amvets.org. Uh, get get your membership. But happy Veterans Day to uh, everybody and. To all the veterans, uh, you see a veteran? Thank you, you know, because that guy wearing the Vietnam hat back in the 70s was a, uh, he was a badass. So, you know, you might be seeing him hobbling <laughs> around town, but uh, think about what what he was in the 60s and 70s in Vietnam. And uh, to quote uh, George Orwell, uh, we all uh, sleep peacefully at night. But uh, I forgot to quote <laughs> We all sleep peacefully (laughs) at night because rough men stand ready to do violence on our behalf. So that is what uh, today stands for, thanking our veterans. Uh, They're the reason why we get to do the show, sleep peacefully at night, and have our freedoms. So thanks to all veterans.
1: Uh, Absolutely, and thanks to the AMVEST for sponsoring our breaking rank as we get into our college uh, football segment. Uh, Joining us also, Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor from the city of Brotherly Love of Philadelphia. Uh, Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor, calling us from down in Evansville. And uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show, who calls us and just really just BSs about sports you know one game though i want to talk about first before we get into notre dame and alabama and georgia and who's going to be in that number four spot if you're not from indiana maybe you don't get it but if you're from indiana you get it and this is you know one of the great things about college football is those is those trophy uh, games that we call them and one of the biggest ones in indiana is going on today the Monon Bell, that is a Wabash College, which by the way is an all-male college, and DePaul is 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 uh, playing today. So what I thought would be totally fitting is the a a full Wabash College expert through and through Wabash College. Nobody knows the Monon Bell better than my friend and colleague, Mister Kevin Long. Sir Kevin uh, is a Wabash graduate and uh, is a Wabash. Uh, let's just say uh, Enthusiasts would be an understatement But uh, certainly one of the most proudest Wabash alumni you'll ever meet Joins us live on the balance fair The very first time Mr. Kevin Long, welcome to the Balancer.
10: Good morning Tom How's everybody doing out there?
1: <laughs> Good, hey, doing...
10: thanks for
8: coming on buddy
1: We are doing it hey, time, doing... my
10: pleasure Anytime I can talk sports with a couple of guys I'm in
1: you're in. Well, I tell you what, let's talk about the Monon Bill. Obviously, like I said, if you're not from Indiana, you don't get it. But certainly across the United States, uh, wherever they may be listening to us, there's those special trophy games that you see. Of course, there's the oak, uh, the old Oaken Bucket. There's a lot of games that uh, I think, uh, Ed, you can speak to Penn State's uh, trophy game. But this is the 120th game in the historic t paul Wallbash football rivalry, which will take place today. At Depaul, so uh, talk to us about the rivalry and what is exactly the Monon Bell, not the Moonon Bell, uh, trophy game.
10: Oh man, hey Tom, I just want to say thanks for having me on talking about this small event. You know, it's big in all of our hearts, but in the compared to a lot of the games going on, like you've already mentioned today, it's pretty small. We only have about 900 men that go to Wabash. Depaul's got about 1,300 people that go to Depaul, and you know. For one day a year, which is the Monon Bell, those two schools crash, and it feels like, I mean, it feels bigger sometimes than Purdue and IU or, you know, those bigger big school rivalries because they've got these tiny stadiums that they wrap with these set-up stands, and we all, you know, all 2,000 of us all file, file <laughs> in. And it's, uh, I mean, it just feels way bigger than it is just because of the scale of the of the field scale is the stadium, obviously, it's smaller, but you put that many passionate people in there. Um, this is the one game a year that we got to cheer for, and the atmosphere is intense, brother.
1: Oh, I, I have no no doubt, and you know what? We we were talking to another colleague of ours that just was like, I just I don't I don't get it, and uh, but you know I I get it, and I went to IU, so I'm going to turn you over to our panel. We'll start with Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor, colonist from Philadelphia, and I, a beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles as well. Ed, what do you got for our uh, Wabash College fan enthusiast enthusiastic person? <laughs> <laughs>
7: well, I. <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. I love these little pockets of rivalries that are, you know, spread throughout the country. But uh, I, I'm kind of a, a fan of nicknames, and I, I have to say, I don't know the nickname of either uh, school. Uh, you know, uh, maybe Kevin can uh, enlighten us what the nicknames are of Wabash and DePaul. What are the mascots? Yeah, exactly. Uh,
10: <laughs> you know what's funny about that is we got our mascot name. It's called the Little Giants. Um, and it's because way back in the 1800s, they were playing Purdue, and we went up there and almost beat them up. You know, we lost by just a touchdown, and they thought we were going to get blown out. And so the uh, newspaper writer and Indy Star a long time ago said, you know, those those men from Wabash went up there to, to uh, Purdue, outnumbered, outranked, and played like little giants on the field today, and that just stuck ever since. But our nickname is more of a caveman. We're more of the uh we're more of the blue collar type of a of a worker. We're work hard, play hard type of people. We're proud of that and we've kept that along the you know, the whole the whole history of the college. It started back in eighteen thirty two. I mean, I don't know if you guys know or not, but this play this thing is this thing has um been going on for years and years and years. This one this today is gonna be the hundred and twenty fourth meeting between the two schools. And it is down to the wire in terms of overall record, right? It's 60-54, nine ties all the way around. So um, when it comes to this game, just like many rivalries, you can throw the uh, throw the records out and let them put it on the field, and I guess that's why they play the game, right? The records don't matter; it doesn't look good on paper anymore. Let them go, and these two people, these two teams just want to beat each other up.
1: Right, and and I believe the game will actually be shown on Fox, Indiana. I believe that's the network that you can that you can see it on. And I know you got a big gathering as well today. Uh, Kevin, uh, where uh, all of you the Wabash crew will be gathered together to watch this big game. Rick Reagan, what do you got for Kevin Long, uh, Wabash, about the Monon Bell?
8: Sure. Uh, Kevin, uh, maybe you can give us some examples of the gamesmanship that happens between the two schools. Because uh, this year, as an example of what I'm, what I'm talking about, we saw Notre Dame play against USC. And they fight. They they play for the uh, Jewel Shillelagh Trophy. It travels back and forth, whoever wins the game. Of course, USC won last year, so they had the Jewel Shillelagh Trophy. This year, they didn't even bring it to the stadium with them. After Notre Dame won, they actually had to mail the, the trophy to Notre Dame. So... Irish to have the trophy. Does anything like that happen in this rivalry uh, as far as uh, that sort of game, gamesmanship? They don't bring the trophy uh, or any other types of pranks just to kind of mess with the other team? <laughs>
10: oh, yeah. There's a, you know, you name it, and uh, we've probably done it over the 124 years. Just recently, a couple kids from Wabash dressed up as uh, President Trump, uh, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama <laughs> masks broke into the broke into the ball and tried to uh, try to (laughs) all the uh, all the trophy away it's a 300 pound bell from a um, old locomotive so this sucker's heavy but what you do we always bring it to the field and that's one of the coolest things about it is you know you play the game you play it hard you try to you know you try to destroy the other team but as soon as you 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 lose you actually hand it off to the other school's football team's captains. It's all handed off by by the players, you know, so they'll run over there and it'll exchange hands. I've always thought that was really cool. Um, You know, in the week leading up, all the Wabash freshmen are guarding the campus when we do have the – even if we don't have the trophy, they're guarding the campus for many pranks. You know, people coming in doing spray paint or, you know – just some harmless college pranks I'm sure we all played, but yeah, that stuff is really cool. the coolest part I'd say is in the weekly enough, we get both sides together in downtown Indianapolis and all the alums in the area. We have a big kickoff, the coaches come and they do a little pregame game speech, we have cocktail hour, you know. Here's the deal. On this day we, we do not like each other. But on every other day we're the exact same people stuff from the same cost, you know, so Um, That friendly rivalry here kicks it up a notch. But in the end, you know, we're all pretty much the same.
1: (laughs) Mo from the BS Sports Show. Uh, Mo, I know you're very familiar with the Monon Bell. What are your thoughts and questions that you may have uh, for Kevin Long? Well,
9: I mean, you know, first off, I I almost feel bad for the winner. You know, this thing's been going on over 100 years. I found a baseball trophy I've had from 25 years ago, and it's all beat to hell. I can't imagine after 100 years how things beat up, so I don't, know I don't know that i want to to
0: Uh
9: But, you know, I, I'm taking Wabash today, and just for the simple fact that I love uh, every time that, uh, that my GPS says Wabash instead of Wabash. So I'm going to take the Wabash. Uh, I'm, take, I'm taking them.
1: All right. Well, Kevin, we appreciate you joining us. And, you know, really, uh, a lot of people may not know this, and they might scratch their head a little bit, and it's like, Let me ask you this. You actually made the choice to go to a college that you knew going into was all men and no women. Uh, What's the story behind it? I know it's a cultural thing. I know it's an historical thing. And there's only a a handful of colleges inside the United States that are still an all-male college, which used to be the way that secondary colleges used to be. It used to be pretty much all-male or all-female. But uh, Wabash uh, uh, has maintained its... uh, all male status, which is almost a pride factor for you guys.
10: Yeah, at this point, it definitely is. You know, it does, it's not an easy decision when you're 18 year old uh, male and you're trying to go off to college and have all the freedom in the world to say, you know what? I think I'm going to go to Wabash where there are uh, no girls. <laughs> That's a pretty hard one to think <laughs> about. But, you,
0: you know,
10: you step outside of that. Raging testosterone, and think you know. You look at the academics, you look at the historical success that the alumni um, have gone on to to have. Um, the biggest part to me is it's just such a strong network. If you if you ever meet a Wabash guy, I mean he'll he'll definitely talk to you about um, you know the the network, how strong it is. A lot of us, so true liberal arts school. So like me, I studied philosophy, and I wouldn't have got my start in any real job if I you know didn't lean on that that network and it's just it's ranked by US News and Report one of the top three every single year strongest networks, even though it's so small. So much like the nickname, you know, Little Giants, we might be small but, you know, we have giant hearts. We um, you know, we play our asses off and we'll do anything for another guy, especially when we see his intentions are true, you know. So and that's really what it is. It's all about family, history, history tradition. That's what drew me there and you know, I just didn't feel that at Purdue and IU and Uh, other schools I was looking at when I was walking around as an 18 year old
1: well, I can tell you one thing. I'm fortunate enough to have two Wabash uh, graduates on, on the team that I work with and as colleagues and a great bunch of guys. So I'm going to root for Wabash today, and, and hopefully you guys are able to, to pull off the win. Any final uh, thoughts for us on the Monon Bell, sir, before we let you go? Or you can stick around and, and talk college with us, but we need to shift on to another topic, sir. So you're more than welcome to stick around with us as an honorary guest, but uh, we're, we're going to shift from uh, the Monon Bell. So any final thoughts on that?
10: Hey, I got it. I got a Wabash. I think we're going to win by a field goal here. I mean, we ran away with it for the last three years, but last year we lost for the first time in eight years, and I think it's going to be a close one here here today as well. So, hey, Tom and everybody, thanks a lot for having me on, and uh, go Wabash.
1: There you go. Have a good weekend, sir, and we'll talk with you soon.
10: See you guys. Hey, awesome
1: we lo- uh, we lost him there as, as as he was talking. So, uh, I'll have to find out what he said and I'll find out what it is. But I think it's fun, guys. I think it's fun when you have those those little uh, pocket rivalries, those little trophy games. They we say little, but they really are pretty big to those that, that attend it. And you know, we've got our 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 comparison here to my alumni is IU and Purdue and that's the old oaken bucket, but that has not near as big on a scale as pride factor. And at the end of the day, that's that's uh What it is. So let's get into these college football games. Uh, Kevin just texted me. He said he wanted to say thanks to all the veterans, and so we'll let we'll let him know. Uh, So anyway, so let's get into the the games today. Uh, Obviously, we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to the. We call it the final four, but I don't even know if that's the real case because it's just a scenario. And at the end of the day, I kind of think the NCAA rankings, because everybody says there's no other rankings that matter unless you're you're with the NCAA top 25 uh, final four rankings because that's really all that matters. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but at the end of the day... We, we know that Notre Dame I mean I'm sorry we know that Alabama and Georgia are one and two spots. that's pretty much uh, solidified at this point uh, unless something drastic happens that nobody's anticipating happen. Now you've got a situation where you've got uh, we're looking at Oklahoma. we're looking at uh, Miami. we're looking at Notre Dame and Notre Dame if, if they get beat by Miami, they're not going to be in. And then we look at a scenario also uh, that uh, if Wisconsin, even though they didn't play anybody, they're in a power conference, and they went undefeated. do they get in in that final four spot? so let's uh we'll start with you uh, uh Ed uh, you've got Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, and the unforeseen number four, which Oklahoma's in there at the moment. but I think that the one that that's, there's really only one slot that we can have a conversation about providing that Notre Dame shows up and does what they're supposed to do. What are your thoughts, uh, Ed? yeah
7: well, Notre Dame has to win right I mean there's no question, and they have a tough tough test tonight with miami um I'd like to see Notre Dame get into that four i like I like to kind of see different teams rotate in and out, and you know of course Alabama's been at that number one spot now for a couple of years and uh certainly look awfully tough it would be nice to see Georgia get in there and um you know some a team that's not, hasn't always been there and it has looked really good and Notre Dame's only lost it to that, to the bulldogs by a point so you know, I like Notre Dame to kind of win, keep winning and get into one of those four spots. I'd I'd really like to see that. Um, you know, it's a marquee program and, and that would certainly draw my interest uh, you know, whenever this uh, these semifinals are played, which I think is what on the uh, New Year's weekend, New Year's Eve weekend. Um I believe I would it's love New Year's New Eve. Eve. New Year's Eve, yeah. Well I'd love to see yes. that's an NFL. that's a Sunday I think New Year's Eve. Um because I, I, I know that because the Eagles and Cowboys were playing that day. But, I mean, you know, I, I want to I see an interesting matchup. I would hate to see Ohio State play Alabama again. Um, and you're right, Tom, Wisconsin really hasn't played anybody, and they're going to come out of that Western division, and they're going to have to match up with Everett, whoever it is against the East. And they're going to have to win that game, and that might be a tough game. But, you know, there, there's a chance that the Big Ten doesn't have any team in the Final Four, which would be, you know, pretty eye-opening.
1: Well, absolutely. So we'll go on over to you, Rick, and we want to get uh, through this uh, Final Four talk, uh, and then we'll, we may have to push off uh, some of the NFL talk to the balance extra. I know we, we took a little extra time uh, talking about the Mono Bell, but I thought it was a, a fun topic to, to talk about today. Rick, uh, the, the Final Four, uh, you know, we got one spot that's left, but Notre Dame is going to have a tough game today against Miami. Miami very much is a team that can beat Notre Dame, and so is Navy next week. So at least for the next two weeks, Notre Dame's going to have the work cut out for him.
8: Yeah, it's really the next three because they, they they finished the year at Stanford, which is also a tough team that that plays Notre Dame tough every year. Uh, right now, this is the chaos with the uh, the top four that I absolutely love. Uh, this is one of the reasons why also we probably won't go to eight teams for a while because here we are, we're talking about the four-team playoff. As long as it, it gets this much uh, publicity and conversation and – and all the dynamics that goes into it, they'll keep it a 14 playoff. But it's also this exact kind of chaos that is why it really needs to be an 18 playoff because if Notre Dame wins out, there's still no guarantee, even if they win out, that they get in. Because will the committee keep an undefeated Wisconsin if they run the table and win the Big Ten championship? Will they leave them out? Will they grab the four spot? Will they jump Clemson and Oklahoma? Will they knock out Notre Dame for not playing a conference championship game? Who knows? That that's the crazy, chaotic conversation of having the 14 playoff. But if they keep Notre Dame in, uh, that could push the committee and push the NCA to having an 18 playoff, uh, which is what I think it needs to be. But it's no guarantees right now that even Notre Dame runs the table that they still even get in just by uh, not having that conference championship game.
1: Well, absolutely, and as we we have this very same conversation every year, let's have eight, let's have eight teams, and to avoid the chaos. But then when we have eight teams, let's have ten teams to avoid the chaos. So if you like chaos, you're rooting for Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Mo, what are people in Vegas uh, talking about uh, when it comes to uh, this uh, NCAA uh, picture, uh, Final Four pitcher coming together? Well,
9: I mean, you know, Notre Dame if they went out. Uh, Rick, I, I think they'll definitely be in, because, especially if, if Georgia continues to stay at one or two. Uh, there's no way you keep Notre Dame out. They've got the toughest schedule uh, for the second half of the season that there is out there as of right now because of the ranked teams that they've played and beaten. Uh, I mean, chaos is, is honestly what the committee wants. You know, I, I think with the first ranking came out, Georgia beat number one was to get people talking about it. Remember, guys, until the last couple of weeks, this is all a TV show right now. It's all built for television. ESPN's got an hour to fill with it uh, every single week, and they want people talking about it. And what's a better way to do it than putting uh, you know some teams in there uh, right now that you know, maybe you wouldn't have expected where they were. I don't think anybody expected uh, you know uh, Alabama not to be number one. But, you know, they were. So right now it's just a TV show. But I think Notre Dame, if they went out, is definitely going to be in. Uh, you know, and depending how close the SEC championship game is, if it comes down to Georgia and Alabama, You know, you can see both of those teams still make it. Uh, You know, and and I think Wisconsin very well could wind up being the Big Ten champs uh, if they can not uh, blow another Big Ten championship game and and maybe make it in, and maybe not. And you know what? That's partly their fault because they played a a week out of conference schedule too. Right now, who you schedule out of conference before your conference season starts is going to mean a ton. So, you know, anybody who wants to play a bunch of these weak-ass teams early on, has to come back to bite you, and I hope it does.
1: So let's – uh. and by the way, Kevin texts, he said Notre Dame by three. So there we go. Uh, he's a, he's our official – Very good. Uh, uh, <laughs> I like Kevin. He's a good
8: American. He's a good American. I like him.
1: I know he's listening. He just texted me and he said Notre Dame by three. So let's get some uh, final thoughts here and then we'll move into the balance extra. Uh, and get into a little of these NFL games and before we have to wrap it up and put a bow on it. Uh, Ed, final thoughts. Uh, Notre Dame, Alabama, Georgia, and that mysterious, chaotic number four spot.
7: Yeah, you know, just talking about the Big Ten, you wonder, uh, does the Big Ten have to look at realigning these divisions? I mean, the the East division is so much much stronger than the West. You know, when you have Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State, uh, you know, those teams just beat each other up, and then there's really nobody that Wisconsin plays that's uh, that good uh, in in their own division. So, uh, you know, I think the Big Ten has to take a little look at that and see maybe they should think about realigning to kind of, uh, up up the – or, you know, kind of even out the balance of the divisions.
1: Rick, uh, final thoughts on the uh, four, the magnificent four, if you will.
8: Yeah, I'm actually going to just add a little bit more to what Mo was saying, you know, about the teams that schedule these, these weak-ass non-conference schedules before they hit their conference schedule. And, it, you know, well so I was going to add, you can hear all the people crying about Notre Dame and not playing the conference championship game. They shouldn't be in the playoff. Well, if that's how you feel, then all these Division One teams that play as FCS schools uh, should also be disqualified for the playoff because in the NFL, you don't see an NFL team going up and playing against the Toronto Argonauts midseason. So I, I, I believe that uh, these teams that schedule FCS opponents should also be dis- disqualified if you feel Notre Dame should be disqualified for not playing a conference championship.
1: Well, Notre Dame has Navy next week. I tell you what, I – I, I thought that today would have been a perfect day for the army Navy game. I mean, that would just been magnificent, but certainly uh Navy is going to be a challenge uh, for Notre Dame. Mo, what are your thoughts uh, on the, on the final four as we see it now?
9: Well, you know, I, I think that, uh, that it probably sets up for a couple of repeats from last year. Uh, probably Clemson, uh, probably Alabama. And then you've got uh, a couple of teams making it in. That, uh, that could be fun. And, uh, in Notre Dame in Georgia, it's just, uh, you know, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you hope that uh, Notre Dame gets there and doesn't get embarrassed uh, as they did with their, their last appearance in a, a championship game. Uh, but, you know, it could be fun. And, and the fact that some of the Power Five Conference champions aren't going to make it, I think, uh, you know, it brings the chaos of controversy to it that too much. I, I like the fact that, you know, you've got to be on point with your schedule and, and winning to uh, to make it. And, you know, I, I like that a lot.
1: Well, uh, we, we're going to r- move into our balance extra here. We are going to be losing our live feed here in about 60 minutes, 60 minutes, 60, st- 60 seconds. I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, you're, you're, if you're listening to us live, then just uh, just wait a little bit because we'll be done here in about 15, 20 minutes at the most. And then it'll be back up on iTunes and uh, TuneIn and other podcast outlets. Uh, Mo, I want to talk with you about – Last night, IU, I was really, really excited. I know it's the first game, and it's Indiana State. Indiana State played a buttload of money to play IU at home, and, you know, we get all of that. We understand all of that. But really, honestly, Indiana State came to win that game, which they did, and Archie Miller and Indiana University better go back to the locker room because they flat got embarrassed last night
9: yeah uh not a good start too Archie miller's i u career but you look you you had a uh you know a bunch of guys who are no longer there uh you got a young team and you're still trying to get your bearings uh, as the i u coach you know it if they're gonna drop a game now why not and then you know be prepared and be a, a tighter knit group when it comes to the big ten season but I mean, embarrassing as a, as a start for your first game, and, and it wasn't even like it was a close game. They just they got their asses kicked last night, and maybe that's what they needed. Maybe it's, uh, you know, some of these guys that have a little bit of ego coming in there, and uh, they overlook a team like Indiana State, and maybe uh, kick in the butt's what they needed. So uh, we'll see how, how the next game goes, but uh, it was definitely not a good start for Archie Miller and his IU career.
1: Well, absolutely not, and it, it, certainly uh, not a, a, a any type of season ramifications. It just, I, I think it just showed a lot of holes that are now on tape, and so hopefully uh, they get it all to, together. So let, let's uh, move on over to the NFL, and we'll finish up with, with some NFL talk. We didn't get a chance to do bet against the spread today uh, because we spent a little extra time on the Monon bail, but sometimes we do get sidetracked, uh, that's uh, for sure. So and we talked a little bit about uh, Arizona and Seattle. We talked a little bit about games on Thursday, and uh, certainly uh, Sherman's season-ending injury. Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, is a game really that important on Thursday night? So, but at this point, there is. So, uh, you know, the Seahawks won that game 22 to 16. Let's talk a little bit about the Jets and the Broncos. I think the Jets. Aren't where, are not are better where anybody thought they would be. And, and the Buccaneers now obviously are dealing with a quarterback injury uh, as well, at least uh, in the near foreseeable uh, future. Uh, so the Jets go into Tampa tomorrow, and the Jets have what we call momentum.
7: Well, the Jets have already won two more games than I thought they'd win this year. Um, and maybe a lot of people thought that too. So, uh, you know, I can see why maybe Todd Bowles is kind of met, being met as so a candidate for coach of the year. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think they'll win it. I mean, the Jets still are just three and five. But, you know, Tampa's been one of the bigger disappointments to me of the season, maybe behind the Giants. Uh, and their one and seven record. You know, you look at Tampa, they're two and six. And now Jameis Winston uh, is on the shelf for the foreseeable future, maybe for the whole season. Uh, so you run out the ageless one, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, representing the Ivy League. You know, uh, we'll, we'll see if he can't spark this team to a win. Uh, you know, I like Fitzpatrick. I think he can do some things with this offense. Clearly he'll be limited. But, uh, you know, I think Tampa Bay should win this game.
1: Uh, Rick, I'm going to give you an easy one uh, softball that you can throw to uh, Ed. Uh, Browns and Lions. Uh, do you have any thoughts for Ed on the Browns and Lions? <laughs>
8: Well, I mean, the nope. uh, the Lions have kind of fell apart the, the past few weeks, but uh, you know they got the win last week against the uh, Aaron Rodgers' Green Green Bay. You know, I, I expect them to get the win against the Browns this week. No Ziggy Ansah, though, I believe he's out for this game. Uh, and then back to the the the, the I U basketball debacle. I'm just so happy that game was not on TV here at my house. I mean, I could I don't have the Big Ten two <laughs> channel or whatever it was on, so that was good. Three. But to use an old cheesy. C- cliche, you know, there literally is nowhere they can go but up from right here. So we'll see what happens, how it plays out. But yeah, they found the big holes in that team.
1: Well, they sure did. Mo, uh, do, does the Bills uh, redeem themselves? It certainly. If you've got a question for Ed, uh, feel free to, to fire away at Ed. But uh, do the Bills redeem themselves against the Saints this week?
9: Well, you know, I mean, if you would ask me that a few weeks ago, I would have told you definitely yes. But you know shockingly, a terrible Saints defense from the beginning of the year has become a very respectable uh, Saints defense. And the fact that, uh, you know, that you've got a team and the Saints that can score a lot of points and score them real quick, you know, you've got some weapons there. Uh, you'll see how Kevin Benjamin works into the uh, Bills offense. But you know, I, I like what the Saints have been doing. And I, as long as this defense keeps playing like this, I, I like the Saints.
1: Ed, uh, what are your thoughts, the Saints and the Bills?
9: Yeah, the
7: Saints uh... – you know, the uh, going outdoors in Buffalo, where it's going to be pretty cold, I'd imagine. Uh, I think stepping outside the Dome for the Saints, I think for any team that plays inside a Dome, uh, it's a it's a challenge. And I think the Saints will be challenged in Buffalo. Buffalo's coming off uh, that embarrassment against the Jets on Thursday night. It's been 10 days. That's kind of stuck in their crawl. Uh, they've had more time to work now. Uh, with the new receiver, Kelvin Benjamin, that they got in a trade. And uh, I think the Bills rebound. I, th- I just think, you know, when you're a hothouse team, uh, it can be difficult stepping outside that dome in, in, in November and December. And uh, I think the Bills are going to find a way to win this game.
1: So let's uh, move on to the, the game uh, here in town. Obviously, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are here in town. uh you know, we well on paper we say there's not a chance in hell that that, that to this this is going to be another embarrassing loss. But I tell you what, if you dig a little bit deeper and you look at how much better that Jacoby percent is playing, the, and you look at the fact that um, the Pittsburgh Steelers are only nine and nineteen against the spread, they don't play well on the road against bad teams for whatever reason. Although the last three years. Uh, the Steelers have certainly had the Colts' numbers, and certainly when you look at it on paper, uh, Mo, it does not look good for the Colts. But however, however, I, I see that there's a a a silver lining to this, and I honestly think that with a divisional win last week, and that as crazy it might sound, even if it's down to a field goal, I think the Colts could beat the Steelers if they if they can control their game. If they let that game get away from them, then there's no way in hell. But if they can control the Steelers, if they can control uh, what what goes on with them, the unfortunate thing is some of the, the things that the Colts are struggling in are certainly some of the things that the Steelers are best to their strength. So uh, what are your thoughts, Mo? And we'll go around the horn on that game real quick, uh, the uh, Steelers and the Colts tomorrow. Well, my, my first thought, Tom, is you need drug testing because – <laughs>
9: I, feel like, I feel like that uh, there's no way in hell that this works out for the Colts because I, I think the defense is just going to get annihilated tomorrow because the, the Steelers can run and throw the football. Uh, you know, and I think that, that keeps the Colts' defense uh, tired out. And then you know by the end of the game, when that's the case, when your offense is on the field, that line, offensive line is terrible. And even though Jacoby Brissett has looked uh, like he's improved, he still makes mistakes. And he makes some mistakes because he's uh, constantly under siege. Uh, this Colts team is a terrible football team. Chuck Pagano is proven to be a terrible head coach. Their defensive coordinator for the Colts is terrible. The offense has been terrible. Uh, they got a win last week, with I mean, for the love of God, they played Tom Savage. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be a debacle, I feel like. Uh, you know, I don't know. I can't pick one aspect of the game other than maybe the kicking game where the Colts are better. I think this is a, a terrible, terrible game for the Colts tomorrow. And, uh, it feels like uh, I wish that we could just pack it into the season and wave the white flag and call it a day.
1: Well, there's an old saying that says, if you speak it, you be it. So maybe I'm just trying to speak it enough so that it happens uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. Maybe it's just I keep telling myself enough. Maybe maybe it'll happen. Uh, Ed, uh, final thoughts on the Colts and the Steelers, and then we'll uh, go around the horn for our final uh, thoughts of the day sir.
7: Yeah, I agree with Mo. I don't think there are any matchups that favor the Colts in this game. Maybe the kicking game, maybe being at home. But there's just so many distractions with Devontae Davis' uh, situation. And, uh, you know, that offensive line still has to find a way to keep Percet upright. And uh, Steelers are going to come out and run the ball with Le'Veon Bell like they do. They're going to control the ball. And I just don't see how the Colts can keep this within two touchdowns.
1: All right, Ed, we'll start with you. Uh, final thoughts, uh, NFL, Veterans Day, the Millennial Falcon, anything. <laughs> yeah, well,
7: happy Veterans Day to everybody, and you know, Rick and, and you, Tom. and uh Thank I you. just wondered if Rick had been practicing Thank you. his cor- – you're welcome. Have you been practicing your cornhole game for the uh, for the big tournament? <laughs> that's going to happen out there for the Amazon. You know,
8: I, I'm not half bad. You know, I, I'm not – I play against some of these guys that are in this tournament today, and – if I had to rank myself against some of the, uh, the, the elite guys at that, that play, maybe I'm like the fifth best out of the ten guys, fifth or sixth, you know. So, I'm not half bad. I do have my own set that we play on. So, yeah, it's, I think it would be a lot of fun today.
1: Yeah, it will be. You see, you see, be. you see, Rick does very well at cornhole because he balances himself off because one hand is his bottle of Coors Light, and the other hand is the beanbag. So, as long as he's got the, the balance in favor, he does <laughs> – he does, he does well. <laughs> Rick, uh, that's Rick, right. But but you is, know,
8: I, I, since Yingling has been in Indiana, <laughs> I switched the core's Light up for Yingling Light, man. It's
1: uh, great uh, stuff. I can't say I blame you there. <laughs> I can't say I blame you there. We certainly enjoyed our share of it uh, here when you were here in town. Uh, that's right. Uh, Rick, <laughs> what are your final thoughts, uh, you know, Veterans Day, uh, uh, the NFL, the Millennial Falcon, anything?
8: All right. Well, you know, for the the, the Colts and Steelers, you know, I, Tom, I will actually just play along with you here with with the Colts having a chance because we have seen strange things happen. I believe the Bears beat the Steelers like three weeks ago, which I thought was pretty this crazy. Is true. So, if Roethlisberger and and Brown and Le'Veon Bell they all miss the flight somehow, or they get show up late to the game, yeah. or something happens with them, then yeah, may, maybe the Colts keep it close and still don't don't win, but. If those three guys show up, which they should, you know, it's going to be what Ed said—two or three scores—and it's going to be a bad day for the Colts. But
1: I'll play along with you. Crazy things happen. <laughs> the voice of reason speaks. The voice of reason speaks. Well, <laughs> What are your, your your final final thoughts on anything, sir?
9: Well, I think one of the team buses for the Steelers would get in an accident, and the, the Colts would still lose because if Jacoby Brissett, the whole team comes in the game, so it's going to be a, a bloodbath. And you know, the one the one thing for me this week is. How selfish and bad does Ezekiel Elliott look now when he could wind up, uh, you know, missing the uh, six games leading up to the playoff run, games uh, important games against the Redskins and the Eagles? He should have just set up the uh, set up the suspension or bargained early on to get it, try to get it reduced. Uh, you know, the, the, all the infighting in the NFL. It, you know, you want to talk about ratings being down and whether it's people kneeling or not? It, it's just uh, a lot of the stars being out, I think, and, and stupid stuff like this. I'm so tired of hearing about this kind of crap. I'm just ready to watch football. And uh, you know, I I, I envy Ed because the Eagles have been so much fun to watch this year. Uh, I, I love uh, I love the progression of Carson Wentz. It's just such a fun team. And I think honestly, you look at it, and that's that's what you're an NFC Super Bowl team. So uh, I envy Ed, and uh, and I uh, I feel pity for us, except for Tom, who's high right now for us Colts fans. <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
1: hey, you know what? I, I'll be the first first to admit the Eagles the Eagles are due. Mo, where can people find your work your masterpieces, sir?
9: Uh, mostly in the trash after my boss throws them away after I ride them.
1: Uh, but uh, you
9: can always check out my, my radio show, uh, where I'm uh, I'm uh, constantly every day talking uh, about the Trigger Grill, trying to get the people from Traeger to send me one. So that's my uh, that's my uh, soapbox for this week, trying to get the people from Trigger Grill to send me a free one.
1: Hey, when when you do that, hook me up uh, for two, and then we'll uh, we'll promote them on this show as well. So well, it, it, it's work, it, it
9: looks like it's working out. I believe they're sending me one, so I think it's working out.
1: All right, well, we'll try to. I'll have to negotiate a deal with you, sir. Uh, Rick, uh, uh, where can people find work in your masterpiece, sir?
8: At Rick and underscore Rick on Twitter and uh, flippingthefield.wordpress.com. I need to get back on there and start writing some more. And uh, I know Notre Dame's a three and a half point favorite today, but I think they're going to make a statement like they did against USC and NC State and 33 Trucking. They're just going to cram the ball down their throats the clock rack up over 300 yards rushing go irish and uh, happy betters day everybody
1: thanks rick and you have yourself a, a good weekend uh, ed uh, i know that you wrote an awesome blog for us this week on uh the about the the quarterbacks great a great read go check that out on w.thebalanceonline.com but where can people find your work your masterpieces sir yeah, uh,
7: they can find it on the website, uh, theeagleswire.usatoday.com, and then they can uh, hit me up on Twitter at Kratz, E-K-R-A-C-Z-E. And, you know, I write about the Eagles, and uh, like Mo said, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of the team to watch right now, and, you know, being 8-1 and in and the development, of course, Wentz. So uh, you can kind of follow along uh, at either of those places and uh, catch up on all your Eagles news there.
1: All right, Ed, you have yourself a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk with you soon. Thanks, guys. You t- all right, guys, that's going to do it. We're going to wrap it up and put a bow on it. I want to take a moment uh, myself and thank all the veterans out there. I-, I tell you what, we couldn't do this show. We couldn't have the freedoms that we have without your service, whether you were in the – and happy birthday to the Marines yesterday and uh, to all the veterans. And a-, a special thank you to my son, uh, Zach, uh, from the Marines. And, uh, you know, whether or not you are in the Marines, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard – What have you, whatever your job was, whatever your rank was, whatever you did. Maybe you didn't see combat, but you're still a veteran, and I still honor you. And, you know, uh, so uh, most importantly, we could not be the country that we are without you. And also, we want to remember the veterans that we've lost. And so... Get out to the vets, Check them out and all the, the veterans' organizations. And just take some time uh, to, to spend a little extra time and hug the neck of a veteran. Uh, I think that's really all they care about is just to know that, that, that you care about them. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Remember, don't drink a drive. Have a great weekend. We'll talk with you again soon right here on the Balance Radio Network.